1: Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on
2: iOS and Android. Hey there, I'm Jack Rodolico, and I helped make Supervision, this podcast that you're about to listen to. I'm really happy you found Supervision. I can't wait for you to hear it. And I'm just poking my head up here so I can share a quick word with you. What you're about to hear is sort of a reboot of Supervision. We originally released the podcast in May of 2019. At that time, we told the story of why a man would thrive or fail on parole. We released Supervision in four episodes, and we thought we were done. Emily, Supervision's host, wasn't planning on doing more reporting. And then Emily uncovered this new fact. It was something she could not have known about the story back when we originally released Supervision. And once she had discovered the new thing, it made us realize that the story we'd told was incomplete. So we set out to make a fifth episode with that new information, which we did. But while we were making that fifth episode, the new reporting Emily was uncovering, well, it was shifting what the entire story was all about. What had started as a story about why a man would thrive or fail on parole turned into something much bigger, into a story about survival and about just how hard it can be for a reporter to get to the truth. So we decided to make some changes to those four original episodes, changes that would make the whole podcast, all five episodes, reflect the whole story we felt we needed to tell. What you're about to hear is the rebooted supervision, the story as it stands in April 2021. In the interest of transparency, we've posted all those original episodes on our website. There, you'll also find a note that details why and how we changed what we changed. That's at supervisionpodcast.com. And by the way, we're releasing Supervision this time as the second season of Document, which is where you'll find more enterprise and investigative podcasts from New Hampshire Public Radio. So if you like Supervision, keep following this feed. All right, that's pretty much the last you're going to hear from me. Thanks again for listening.
3: It's hard looking back at this story to remember where it started. So much has happened since then. But I guess if I have to start it somewhere, it would be at my kitchen table. At the time, my girlfriend Ella, we're married now, she was a public defender here in New Hampshire. She wasn't long out of law school, so she wasn't defending people accused of murder or even burglary. She got the cases her office considered lower stakes. Drugs, simple assaults. Crimes that got people sent to prison for months, maybe a few years. So every night over dinner, Ella tells me about her day. And I notice she's got a lot of this particular kind of client. These guys, they've done time already, recently. And now, they're about to get sent back to prison. Maybe one guy got in a fist fight with a neighbor. Or a parole officer found drugs in another guy's car. Or, a parolee left the state without permission. All of them are going back to prison. Ella tells me these stories over dinner, night after night. And I'm thinking, prison sucks. These guys know that better than anyone. What is making it so hard to stay out of prison? That question sticks with me. And I get this idea. What if I follow just one person? What if I get to know someone right as they're about to leave prison, and I follow them as they rebuild their life? What would it take for that guy to make it on the outside? I had no idea what I was getting into. This is a parole hearing for Jacob Porter. And those present for the hearing, state your name and relationship in the case for the record, please. It's March 2nd, 2017. I'm inside a New Hampshire prison in a room that has the feel of a miniature courtroom. One by one, people shuffle in, wearing orange or green jumpsuits and shackles. One by one, they sit at a tiny table facing a big desk. That desk sits up on risers above them. And up there, that's the parole board.
1: Explain why you have earned the privilege of parole.
3: Most people who leave prison leave on parole. Parole allows them to spend a final part of their sentence out in the community with a lot of restrictions. But first, they've got to prove themselves. In this room, The parole board is essentially auditioning these men and women for life on the outside.
2: Are you sorry for what you did?
3: And I'm in the back with a notepad, essentially auditioning them for the leading role in this podcast.
4: This is a parole
3: hearing for Paul Frescona. This is a parole hearing for Adam Smart. This is a parole hearing for Kane Davis. People behind bars wait years for this. For these eight or so minutes, when they can stand before a parole board and try to prove they've changed, that they're ready for life on the outside, their freedom literally hangs in the balance.
0: I found out I can't change the past, so I just got to move on and look forward to the future. And
1: never had rehab and that substance musician, It all stems from mental health. Yep. Yep.
3: The parole board sits as one person after another goes before them. And something that strikes me is how practical and mundane the questions are.
1: Make sure you have that appointment before you leave.
0: So do you have a, a mental health provider in the community? And you're
1: gonna, you already have a job lined up? I do. Okay.
3: They want to know the person before them has a concrete plan for life on the outside. They want to know you've got a job, you've got housing, you've got transportation. If you haven't planned these details, the board knows it will be hard to succeed.
0: So So she's okay with this? Yep, she's okay with this.
3: Kane Davis tells them if he's released, he's gonna move in with his ex. Someone the board chair refers to as his baby mama.
0: Three kids and some other guy that lives there? Who's he? That's her boyfriend. So (laughs) I'll be sleeping in a little boy's room. He he's all for it. He's like, oh, he goes up, we're gonna have playtime because we can sit and play toys and matchboxes i'm like
3: he says he's moving in with his ex and her boyfriend he gets paroled
4: places what would your day look like if you didn't do
3: the board wants to know about more than just your living situation they want to know what you're going to do with your time
4: what do you do what do you do with your time
3: Paul Frascona seems particularly unprepared for this moment. He's not in the room. He's video conferencing in from another prison. Paul says when he gets out, he's going to watch TV, walk to the park, and obsessively clean his apartment because he's got OCD.
0: Oh, so how
4: many years have you been behind the wall? I
1: have been forced the homes, group homes, I've been in prison basically almost my whole life. Yeah. So what we're asked substance musicians, it all stems from mental health. Yep. And, and yep. I've been self-medicating for a long time. Yep. I've been...
3: This is Adam Smart. He's almost too put together. In my notebook, I write in caps, really smart. And one board member thinks he's making excuses about why he hasn't gotten drug treatment, and she loses it.
1: I think you're full of shit and I think you're just trying to sell a nice a nice boat down the river. And it's just you're full of it. You're full of yourself. It's all on record, right? Every time we have gone to mental health. Every single time. Okay. So you can see. And what are you taking
3: for medications? Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) No. No. Why?
1: Because they want to put me on sleep meds for anxiety.
0: Right, because do
3: you It's wild to think of it as I sit in the back of the room watching these men and a few women pass before me in this parole hearing conveyor belt. Most of them are going to get out of prison on parole, and then half will come back. Half of people on parole in New Hampshire end up right back in prison in less than three years. And in most other parts of the country, the odds aren't much better. This is a parole hearing for Josh Labanetz via video in Berlin. A new face appears on the screen. He's sitting in a prison in Berlin, New Hampshire, way up north. He's got a short buzz cut, and he's wearing these rectangular wire-rimmed glasses.
0: You looking to parole,
4: is that correct? Yes, sir. Where are you looking to go?
3: Some folks have family in the room during their hearing. Some wave and say, I love you, through the video screen. One guy even has a lawyer. But I'm the only one back here when Josh Lavenitz comes on the screen.
0: Okay, you're in for some uh, pretty serious crimes. I mean, you assaulted your wife and your son. And looking at your record, there's a lot of assaults uh, in your history. So how have you changed? Well, I'm 39 years old I lost everything because my decision-making, my lack
3: of decision-making. Josh has good answers to all the questions. He's got job prospects. He knows where he's going to live and get treatment. And, he says, he understands now how his bad decisions are fueled by alcohol and depression.
0: All right, Mr. Levinetz, we are going to grant you the privilege of parole.
3: The board walks him through the conditions of his release. He'll get out in two months, in the spring.
0: Well, you know what you need to do. Yes, ma'am. Good luck. Thank you,
3: thank you. At the bottom of my notepad, I write the words, good candidate, and circle them. The day after the hearing, I write a handful of letters. I say, I wanna know what it's really like to get out of prison and to try not to get sent back. I wanna know what does it take to make it on the outside? Will you work with me to tell your story? Two weeks later, I get a handwritten letter. It's from Josh Lavinitz, number 22176. From New Hampshire Public Radio, This is Supervision. I'm Emily Corwin. Episode 1, The Privilege of Parole.
0: Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or a random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.
2: Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.
1: For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna. To keep her secret recipe alive, take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch, when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great.
3: Josh's letter is postmarked March 17th, 2017, just two months before he gets out. Hi, Emily. He starts... This is my first prison sentence and my first time on parole. I am kind of nervous that my parole officer would be waiting to cut my throat at a moment's notice, but at the same time, I am very determined to be successful and rebuild my life. He writes, I have goals that need to be accomplished. After I get the letter from Josh, I set up a call with him. All right, you can hear me okay?
0: Yes.
3: Great. So, um... I explain, I want to follow him in the weeks leading up to, and then the months following, him getting out of prison. I want to check in with him a lot. Do you have any questions?
0: Uh, not really. I'm nervous about this whole parole thing. And
3: What's, what's scary about parole?
0: Coming back here. Are they out there to, you know, are they just waiting for me to hang myself? Are they there to help me?
3: At his parole hearing. Josh mentioned that he has mental health issues. He tells me he got on top of it in prison. Later, he'll list for me all his diagnoses. Bipolar disorder, PTSD, attention deficit disorder, alcohol abuse. How much of, your, of the trouble that you got in was, do you attribute to not being on your meds?
0: A lot of it because I'm very up and down, very inconsistent with my uh, mood, I hmm. guess you can say.
3: So, like, right, you, the the Josh that I'm talking to right now, is that up or down or in between?
0: Uh, it's in between. It's not bad. Uh, okay. it's kinda I've been going at a steady pace, you know, just anxious of getting out. Because I know I can do good. You know, I'm 39 years old, and I should not be in this situation
1: right now. <laughs> Hypothetically, something happened. Okay. Pull the cord. Don't rely on the button. Pull the cord. Okay,
4: pull the cord. And...
3: One week before he's scheduled to get out, I meet up with Josh at the prison. He's been locked up in Berlin, a city just north of New Hampshire's White Mountains, about 50 miles from the Canadian border.
1: Hey, could you page... Uh, pick up yes, could, could you page 11 from the dorm down to the uh, visit room, please?
3: I put my things in a locker and follow a guard through a series of locking doors to a small attorney inmate meeting room. A faux wood desk and a TV take up most of the space.
0: Hi. Hey.
3: Nice, nice to, to meet, meet you. you. You too. So I'm just gonna have this rolling the whole time, just saying. So you know. Okie dokie. Sounds good. Josh is smaller than I expect, maybe five foot three. The cuffs of his baggy green prison jumpsuit hang down past his wrists. He's got brown hair and a short buzz and those wire-rimmed glasses. Yeah, yeah, he sits down. Yeah,
4: I'm excited. Lower housing, five-minute movement. Lower housing, five-minute movement. <laughs> speakers, That's a loud speaker. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. I can't wait to get out of here. This yeah. is crazy. It is. Um, yeah, two years of this. is <laughs> not for me.
3: Josh fidgets and leans in toward my microphone. I want to understand his life here, so I ask, what his day is like. He tells me he wakes up every morning in a big gym full of 50 other guys. Yeah,
4: it's it's like almost like a homeless shelter. It's uh, a big gym area. The hoop, basketball hoops are raised up. and
3: there's, there's an electric kettle, which he uses to make instant coffee.
4: It's pretty much, it's freeze-dried coffee, so it's like you add hot water. And, oh, there it is, you know. And I wait for my meds, take my meds, and I
3: usually work out. Josh work sounds out bored, just telling me about it all. Take a nap, lunch time. And... The gym he works out in, it's identical to the one he lives in. Only, instead of bunk beds, it's empty. Josh is religious about his workout routine. Six days a week, three hours a day. And he's always hungry. At lunch, he says, the other guys know to give him the discolored stinky baloney. they refuse to eat.
4: Tuesday, will be Back and chest, Wednesdays will be shoulders and cardio.
3: Before he went to prison, Josh loved to hike. He kept a list of every mountain in New Hampshire's presidential range. Those are the tallest mountains in the state. Every time he hiked a new one, he'd check that peak off his list. One thing that drives him crazy in here is the prison is closer to those mountains than he's ever lived.
4: Especially in the fall time, because um, from the big yard you can see, uh, I believe it's Madison and Jefferson and Washington in the background. And every September, I was like, I bet there's Appalachian Trail hikers coming from Georgia going over that right now, going to Maine. Yeah, it's kind of a tease, but it just gives me more reasons to change things, you know, because. Steel and concrete—it's just not my thing.
3: Josh's record is peppered with low-level assaults and drinking and driving. The opiate epidemic is in full swing here in New Hampshire. Josh says he doesn't do drugs. Um,
4: I've always went to drink and um, not much. A, I don't like needles, so that eliminates that whole thing. I don't—I can't stand needles. So, but. Alcohol has got me in some trouble in the past, so yeah. um, it's something that I can uh, look forward to working on once released.
3: It takes me a while to work up the nerve, but eventually I asked Josh about the crime that got him here.
4: Um, I just pretty much blacked out and I just started you know, fighting everybody
3: and it just wasn't good. Was it a single, totally? I pressed Josh for details. He doesn't really elaborate. But I've read his court files. According to police, Josh beat his ex wife, knocked her phone out of her hands, locked her in a bedroom, and then beat his 13 year old stepson.
4: It was just boom like a light switch, you know. Um, that's why. It's important that I take my meds so I can, my mood can stay consistent. And between not taking my meds and drinking, is just a bad combination.
3: Josh was convicted of seven counts of assault, as well as two counts of obstructing the report of a crime. And I just want to say right now, Josh's description of what he did, and even his case file, none of it captures the violence his ex, Joyce, has described to me. Here in prison, Josh tells me, he's changed.
4: I have a peace of mind right now. Um, I've worked on myself vigorously in the past two years, and it's just I feel really good about myself.
3: Behind bars, Josh took a handful of classes. He took a parenting class, one on healthy relationships, another that's basically group cognitive behavioral therapy. Frankly, I've been reporting on criminal justice for years, and it's made me skeptical that time in prison actually helps a person change for the better. Still, there's something about Josh that makes me believe him when he says he's changed. Like, at one point, he shows me this four-inch-thick manila folder he keeps in prison. He calls it his book of knowledge. What are these?
4: Proteins and stuff, like egg whites, fish, um, pork...
3: So were you counting calories?
4: Uh, no, I was learning how to do it from when I got out at uh, Omega. Yeah.
3: There are printouts with definitions of organic compounds. There are magazine clippings with diet tips. Yeah,
4: whey and casein proteins, and just different just knowledge of different things.
3: So you've got um, like, riboflavones and niacin, pa- pantothenic acid, stokes your metabolism to burn. There's a page of tiny figures sketched in pencil 25 yoga poses he drew by hand. What is that?
4: Jogging in the woods is supposed to be very good mentally. Not only physically, but mentally. There are recipes. Avocados, shrimp on a flatbread with uh, cilantro and uh, Greek. Um, Yogurt? Yes, that stuff.
3: (laughs) (laughs) This book of knowledge, it's not something Josh made just to show me. He didn't even show it to the parole board. It's just for him.
4: I'm not too happy about being 39 years old and then in prison, losing everything. It was about time that I start making decisions about what I want to do with the rest of my life, because the first half of my life hasn't worked out so great.
3: May 4th, 2017 is Josh's parole date. His mom has the day off of work from Walgreens. She's never visited him the whole time he's been here. In fact, nobody has. Josh's mom is planning to pick him up at the prison the day he gets out. I book a motel nearby so I can tag along. Then, at 4 p.m., the day before Josh is set to get out, I get a text message.
1: Investigator uh, Hammer speaking.
3: Something is wrong. Oh, hi. This is Emily with New Hampshire Public Radio. Um,
1: He's standing right here.
3: Oh, great.
0: Hello. Hey, Josh. It's
3: Emily. Hi, Emily. Uh, so, wow. Things things didn't turn out the way we thought they might.
0: Uh, no, no, they didn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> w-
3: what happened yesterday?
0: Uh, they don't have their shit together. <laughs> so to say, they don't have their. Shit
3: Josh together isn't again. getting out. Not today. He tells me the parole board never sent his paperwork to the prison. He says his caseworker had no idea he was supposed to parole.
0: Now I got to call my mom, get a hold of my mom. Yeah, I had to tell her last night. She wasn't too happy.
3: What was that phone call like?
0: Uh, it, was, it, I, uh, it was a phone call I really didn't, wasn't excited to make, you know. I broke my mom's heart coming in here in the first place.
3: This hang-up is about more than a few extra days of heartache for Josh and his mom. See, Josh's mom can't get another day off of work. So four days later, when he does get out of prison, nobody comes to pick him up. (laughs) At 7.30 Monday morning, I'm standing in the parking lot of a convenience store. An SUV with the New Hampshire Corrections Department logo pulls into a parking spot, and Josh steps out. He's wearing prison-issue gray sweatshorts and a white t-shirt.
0: It's nice out.
3: It's nice out, he says. It's gray and rainy. A correctional officer hands Josh $14.50, exactly his bus fare.
4: So where do I get this bus ticket?
3: All five episodes of SuperVision are in your feed right now. Next time, on Josh's first day of freedom, something happens there's no way he could have prepared for.
1: What do we do?
2: (laughs) SuperVision was reported and hosted by Emily Corwin... It was produced by me, Jack Rodolico. Editing by Dan Barrick, Erica Janik, and Maureen McMurray. Additional production by Jackie Fulton. Digital production by Sarah Plord and Rebecca Lavoie. Supervision is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. If you are in an abusive relationship and you want help making a plan to get out of it you can call the Domestic Violence Hotline. Their number is 1-800-799-SAFE. If you're unable to speak on the phone safely, you can go to their website, thehotline.org. And if you think you may be mistreating or hurting your partner, you can get help at the same place. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.
1: For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna. To keep her secret recipe alive, take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's gonna be great.